0: So, welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. And today we have a special episode. And it's a special episode because I'm I'm interviewing someone, but unlike uh, the normal interviews where I might interview a previous client or a fellow practitioner in this, uh, this time you've got a special treat because I put a request out to my network to say, are there people out there who are interested in this understanding of quality of mind, have got a little bit of interest and resonate with it, but still have some questions that they'd like to ask? Uh, because I thought it might be useful for other people to hear what someone's curiosity is bringing up for them. So, uh, very luckily, um, Laurence Hollabon has decided to join us and come on this podcast to share some of her questions about his understanding, and hopefully that will be interesting for everyone. So, thank you so much, and welcome, Laurence.
1: Good morning, Piers. How are you?
0: I'm very well. Thank you. So um, thank you so much for doing this. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, And before we get into um, your questions, uh, could you just give listeners just a couple of minutes about who you are, uh, your background and, uh, and how come we're talking, I guess?
1: Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Really, really pleased to be uh, with you this morning. Um, so as you can probably hear, I am French. So my name is Laurence, <laughs> which creates a little bit of confusion sometimes where people in the UK expect somebody, you know, male turning up in the room. So but, uh, but that's me, fortunately. So I, I am French. I live in London. Uh, I've got two daughters. My husband's British which creates uh, a lot of discussions about, you know, cultural differences most times. Quite, quite interesting. Um, so I have a career actually in consulting, NHR. So I've been in consulting in, I mean, at the beginning I worked in France and then moved to Germany and Switzerland, where, where I worked for, for quite a few years back to France, and then I moved to the corporate world when I was back in Paris uh, about 10 years ago, and corporate world meaning for me becoming an HR manager and HR director, and I actually spent the last, I guess, eight years now uh, with a company called Bell, um, who is in the snacking and cheese industry, not quite surprising for a French person, Um, and uh, and I've lived, I had the chance to live in several countries, so I, 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 I... stayed in France for a while, but then I moved to uh, the Middle East, uh, where we, we spent with my family a couple of years. And, uh, and we also actually came back, we came back about two years ago to London. And since then, we've been working there and now working in consulting and coaching.
0: Great. Uh, well, really interesting background, Being going around the world and, and doing lots of different things, I guess, but always around sort of people and HR. That sounds like the sort of the, the continuity in, in what you've been doing, Laurence. Okay.
1: Yes, that's what I, I guess, I was trying to reflect on what is it that makes me do this, this job. HR is, is going to be quite an ungrateful profession sometimes. And, uh, I think it's the fact that I truly believe that there's a way to grow your business and grow your people at the same time. You don't have to choose. You don't have to go for one, you know, and look for finance results only or to go for the people and be a so-called people person, you can actually, in an organization, if you're a manager, if you're HR, if you're pretty much anyone, there's always a way to make sure everything works well together. And, and combined, you can actually create some very interesting vir- vir- virtual circles, I would say.
0: that's It's, it's such a good point. And I think that would underpin sort of how I would see it in that actually your people are your greatest asset and you don't have to compromise on their well-being and fulfillment for commercial results. Actually, if you get the one right, the other one comes. So, uh, absolutely. So, um, very interesting background. And I, So, just to give listeners a bit of context, um, but uh, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, uh, I'm right in saying that you came across sort of, uh, well, started to hear a few podcasts and, and read a couple of posts about quality of mind a few months ago. Uh, where we got a sort of a a mutual uh, colleague, I think, that introduced you, and then we met at an event. um, And I sort of probably spoke about it for three or four minutes. Um, (laughs) And then then you started to listen and read a few things about quality of mind in the last few months. Is is that sort of the extent of your knowledge so far?
1: No, you're you're totally correct. I mean, I was curious in the beginning because uh, the first discussion you and I had, I remember, were about... Uh, the fact that there's a, a way to look at things differently. You can become, I mean, in my profession as HR, as a, a coach, as a, as, a, as I am sometimes with the teams I work with, uh, I realized that the potential that we have sometimes remains a bit locked in for plenty of reasons uh, as an individual or as a, as a team. Uh, and what you were telling me at, at that stage was, well, there's a way to unlock that. Uh, and if you start looking at things in a different way, things become easier. So I got interested. I got interested. I wasn't sure if I was understanding the concepts very well. And I started to listen, you know, to, to, yeah, podcasts that you, you, you shared with me or videos. And from one thing to the other, it's starting to, to build up. And I'm not saying that I understand, you know, in, in detail, but I do have a, a lot of questions actually, because I sense there's something, uh, and I can't really grasp precisely what it is or, and putting the right words and concepts to explain is something I'd love to be able to do because I'm, I'm, I do believe there's something more than what we see, Um, you know, nowadays in the organizations we live in. We feel that things are finite or or confined or there's, you know, A or B as solutions. And usually there's something else that you can imagine. And I think what you're saying relates to that. So there's there's this kind of sphere that I'm very interested to exploring.
0: Okay, well, let's, let's find out what some of those questions are. Uh, and I'm sure they're probably ones that other people have too. So j- j- just far away what questions, and it, and it might be a bit higgledy piggly in how we do this, but that's fine. I'll try and contextualize it and, and make it useful for listeners. But um, yeah, so, so what, what, what sort of strikes you as something you'd like to know a little bit more about or understand?
1: Mm, I, I'd be interesting to to, you know, for you to explain more in detail what are the key elements very simply, you know, the two or three concepts behind the quality of mind.
0: Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll caveat this by saying it's a hard thing to give a gist of um, <laughs> because there's, the, the words we use are only signposting post, to something deeper. But but let me try and, and give a little nutshell. So at, at, at the be, at the impact end, the, the role and relevance of, of quality of mind is that it increases anyone's individually or collectively Um, Ability to have more resourcefulness, performance, well being. So it does the holy trinity of those three. And the way it's doing that, of course, course that's turning up behaviorally in action and psychologically for people. But that's not where we're leveraging. That's not where we're looking at. We're actually looking to get people to explore something that is not normally conventionally talked about, which is how does a human being experience and create reality? What is it that is sourcing that? Not what is our reality, as in what is our content, what is our thought, what is our behavior. We don't look there. We also don't look at who I am as a person, myself, my personality, my character, my my upbringing, my values, my beliefs. We don't look there. We go more upstream and look at how does consciousness and thought and the mechanism that we would call a brain work. And actually, we're going even pre-brain to something that is sourcing everything that you might call sort of overall awareness or consciousness. And we're helping people to see that a lot of the things that we've been conditioned to believe about where our experience and reality comes from, which is usually, you know, science over the last 300 years has told us that the outside world of Time, space, and matter is causal to us, and, and that's and we're sort of interpreting our experience of that. Now, what we're getting people to explore is whether that's true or not, and where we end up is is to see well, actually, there's no direct causal power in the outside world, in events or circumstances. It's not me creating my reality through my mind. There's something else that's sort of sourcing all of that um, mm-hmm. at a more, if you like. Um, to use the word, spiritual or infinite level. And once people start to have a look, they can see that. And then what we talk about is, well, how does that turn up psychologically? What does that mean for when I'm in a difficult meeting with my boss? What does that mean when I'm trying to work out how to d- d- devise my new strategy or when I'm dealing with anxiety or, or stress? So we, we we go really sort of upstream to explore something very foundational, which turns on its head conventional wisdom about what we are psychologically. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know whether that oh. helps at all, <laughs> or it might pose more questions.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I've got a few keywords here that I'd like to, 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 to explore. Um, you, you talked about the brain, how the brain works, and that could be something that would be fundamental in explaining maybe how we behave and how things could be different. That's what I understand from what you, you've just said. So could you then dig in a little bit more and say, To us now, how what is it that the brain does that that or 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 at least yeah, what is it that the brain does that we thought we knew over the past you said two or three hundred years?
0: So I, I was always brought up that the brain has, you know, is 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 full of neural pathways and is the center, the epicenter of our human experience, right? So it all comes from the brain right so there's neurons and thingies in the brain and that's creating our reality and the brain's like a big kind of computer or library and it's all going on from the brain caused by the brain now what i would say is no i don't think that i now think the brain is involved at one level as a kind of processor maybe because if you for example put a big electromagnet next to one hemisphere of our brain you can drain color out of what you see right? So we know the brain is involved, but it's not the source, right? And if you look into a little bit about what neuroscience has been looking at, they've been trying to work, solve the hard problem of consciousness, which is you know what causes our experience. And they can find lots of what they call neurocorrelates, things that correlate brain activity with human experience, but nothing that causes it. Right. So, what we're therefore saying is the cause of our human reality and our, and our you know, what we are is before brain. Mm-hmm. Right. So, brain is, is, is like a processor, but it's not the start point.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if the brain gets damaged, then you'll see differences in perception right? Just like if you drink a bottle of vodka or or have some LSD, right? Or whatever it is, you you, you can change our perception, but only as weirdly as in a dream, right? So what we're pointing people to see is actually, yes, the brain's involved, but it's not causal, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: which then makes the question, well, what is causal, right? Which is Mm -hmm. a bigger question. But knowing it's not the brain and the brain and the body are not what we think they are, brings a lot of psychological freedom.
1: Okay. So if I understand correctly, what you're saying is, if the brain is involved but is not the source, mm. if we just drill it down to something quite simple, which is the everyday, you know, activities we have, the interactions we have, the work we do, the conflicts we may face with people, etc. What is it that we need to know to 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 make these things work better? I mean, yeah. we don't talk about cause at the moment. Maybe we get to that later in in the discussion. But at the moment, very practically, I have that had that meeting with my you know manager last week. It went really wrongly. Uh, we disagreed. <laughs> Uh, I left the room thinking, gosh, I can't work with that person anymore. I would like to leave, but I can't. I'm stuck because I've got contingencies of, you know, finances, financial documents and everything. And, and I feel stressed ever you know, since that time. How does the quality of mind approach that you're suggesting help me deal with that
0: situation? Well, great, great question. So, so one of the core kind of implications we talk about, and, and this is a phrase to get behind and not get literally caught on the words, is that... Any experience we're having is what we would say real, but not true. Okay, so what do we mean by real, and what do we mean by true? Again, the words don't matter. You could swap them if you wanted, but what we mean is that the the human experience that we're in feels and looks real. So that meeting with with the with the person doing what they're doing um, is is your reality, right? And it feels and looks real. You're not pretending. You're not making it up, but If we see insightfully at a realized level that it's not true, we then don't take it literally and we see that it is just a moment-to-moment creation of of consciousness Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and it's not a fixed thing that we then need to make lots of meaning about, that we need to manage or control or judge or justify. And instead, we have more flow.
2: Mm -hmm. So
0: we'll have that meeting. Actually, our feelings that you mentioned, let's say the meeting didn't feel very good, you know, it was a horrible feeling. Actually, our sen- our sensations are intelligent feedback to tell us where our aperture is to to, to the wider infinite resourcefulness that we, we all are. And when something is feeling difficult and icky and, oh, I don't like this, and you feel insecure or anxious, that's actually information nudging our system to have a wider aperture on the situation. Yet, innocently, invisibly, we've been conditioned to think that that feeling is telling us, oh, buy into what's coming through the mind at the moment. Mm. Right. So then we find more justification and desire to cope and manage because we think the icky feeling is saying, right, well, this is a really bad situation. I need to do something about this. Actually, no, it's telling us Back off your human experience right now. the The desktop user interface of your mind is is not very accurate, right? So no instead, we can see that it's it may feel real for us, but it's not true.
2: Okay, I
1: think that the, uh, I think I understand what you're saying. Uh, it relates to a. A lot of experiences we have, I mean in the corporate world uh, as as a person in you know, our social interactions and everything, stepping back and and trying to let go of what happened and getting out of either our thoughts or emotions or both usually helps. We can see this you know if there's a theory saying that if if you give it a few you know minutes or seconds when you're angry then it it actually gets better and you you lose the anger so i I guess that relates to that what you're saying however. The true thing is 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 something I'm not sure if I understand. When you say it's real, I I agree. I've been faced as an HR you know person. Obviously, you meet with people who give you their version of a story, and it's real. And then you, you meet their counterparts, you know, who they've had a problem with in the organisation, and they tell you something totally different, and it's real as well, though. You know, you know both mm. are actually telling you very different stories, but it it does feel real to them, and you have to acknowledge that if you want to get into a form of communication with them, with each of them, and then resolve potentially the situation. But what about, I mean, the true refers, because if you tell, you know, somebody who's a CFO, I've, I've worked with a lot of CFOs, mm-hmm. they're my buddies, we, we don't always get on on every topic, but um, uh, they are quite structured and rational. If you tell them something is mm, is true or not true, or true doesn't exist, they will look at you and say, well, guys, thanks, but it's uh, I, I don't buy into that. What I, My figure is true. My calculation is true. Everything's true. So could you explain maybe a little bit more in detail what you mean by true so that we can understand more about this theory of of real but not true?
0: Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's it's when we went on our programs, we spent a lot of time talking about because it it's such a complication. Um, and, and you're right. And it can sound like, what do you mean it's not true? You know, so... What we're pointing to at the level of human experience, and I'll come into what it might look like in the workplace, but at the, at the level of human experience, what we're saying is there is no objective truth to the world or reality, okay? So w- what we're saying is there isn't something out there which is objectively true, right, like, like, like a tree or a car or a person, right? It, they don't exist objectively. They are a, a rendering of, of consciousness at an individual level, right? It, it, it points back to what quantum physics is trying to see between particles and waves changing when they're observed, right? So there is no objective truth, right? Now, anything we're experiencing feels and looks real, and that can happen for individuals very separately. So that's why you'll have two people who can watch a a movie and have very different views about the movie or an HR scenario, two people will have very different realities on it, right? Both of their realities are real to them. There isn't one that's more true than the other. There might be in the construct of an organizational setup where there is one that fits more with what the organization's on about, right? So in the game of that organization, like if you're playing a board game with your kids, there's rules and you can say, well, that's nearer the rules than the other one. But what we're saying is at the level of human experience, there isn't one that's right and one that's wrong, because there is no true. Because the, the, the reality that's out there that is true is, doesn't exist in time, space, and matter. I don't want to get too complicated on this, but whatever is objective reality it is, is not time, space, and matter. It's something something we don't know about, right? Mm -hmm. And time, space, and matter is our our rendering of that, our desktop UI. So when we say something isn't true, we're not denying that that someone has a reality that looks true to them. What we're saying is that nothing can possibly be true, right? And and the easiest way to see this at a practical level, right? I'll, I'll give you three little examples, right? So there's times when we're in our experience and it looks absolutely real and true. You're caught up in something. It feels very powerful. It feels like you have to fix it or change it or deal with it or cope with it. And there's no wiggle room. It it is what it is. And if you try and tell someone, hey, don't worry, it'll look different tomorrow. They're like, no, it won't, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's other times when we are in our reality, we kind of know we've got unhelpful thoughts and, and the world's not looking great, but we sort of are slightly spotted Maybe it might look different tomorrow, or maybe there's another way of seeing this. So we're kind of half onto it, right? But we can't help ourselves from getting caught up, right? And then there's other times when we would really spot that our reality is real but not true. And the main one we'll do that is when we're just waking up from a dream in the morning, Mm -hmm. right? So there might be the odd time when you you first open your eyes, you're 10, 20 seconds into the morning and you're still caught in that dream, and it feels real because your heart's going and whatever, but, you, but your system knows it's, not a dream. it's a dream, and it very quickly disappears. And when it disappears, the reality changes. Now, in that one, you never said it was true, right? Yes. You, you would say it was real because I'm like caught up. Or little kitties, when they're upset, you know, that, that, that they get upset, we would take mm-hmm. them, we would acknowledge their reality, but we wouldn't think it was true. So that they're pretending they are a princess. We're like, oh, brilliant! You know, we don't think, oh, they really are a princess. Okay, (laughs) you know. So, so, so we can see it sometimes, right? But other times we can't see it at all. Now, what we're saying is, it's always not true. We just can't always see it, and it depends on our aperture.
2: Okay. And what we call
0: our aperture to our consciousness, to quality of mind, we call it aperture, which is how contracted or expanded is consciousness for us, and can we see the real and not true nature of of our reality in any moment. Okay. Now, does that help at all?
1: Yes. Yes, it does make sense. I understand better what what you mean by not true, and I think probably we need to to, regardless of the definition or whatever, whenever we want to get into a conversation with someone and try to help them open or or increase their aperture. Um, maybe those examples are, are you know are, are really helpful because I I never thought about the dream thing, but yes, it does feel so vivid and, and, and real that you it, it's your reality and on the other hand we, you, you, your, your mind knows it's not true <laughs> so yes, I can yeah. see that both can coexist and I think this is where we need to get or you know the, the people to the fact that you know you you, you can experience something but that doesn't mean it is the true for yourself or for anyone else and and that's okay we can live with this and if we can get people to this we can live with this status i guess it's it's the beginning of of you know the the, the aperture uh, concept of how do you make it bigger so that things can be managed actually in, in an, you know with, with more means or in an easier way so i I, I, I understand what you're saying now the next question I, I would have would be how do you make sure that people are actually open to that or have a you know get a larger ap- aperture to to manage situations in a more you know, in a calmer way, more, you know, more relaxed way. Mm. I think the state we all try to reach, right? Feeling a little bit in that meeting that I was mentioning, that, that could have happened last week with a manager. How could it have ended up differently? And how could, you know, I have not lost sleep over it, for example. Is there a way to get there?
0: Well, um, there are many, many ways, right? Now, the quality of mind is pointing to a particular way. But just to give you the context, so, you know, for the first 10 years of my career before I, got into doing quality of mind work, I was doing NLP, positive psychology, uh, hypnosis, EFT, clean life, all sorts of tools and techniques um, to help people, if you like, have a a wider aperture. The language we're using now is of of a wider aperture, right? And there are lots of psychological strategies, tools and techniques, which can have some effect, right? Of course they can, because the system is designed to open and ebbs and flows. And they had some effect, but it was fairly temporary, right? And you had to do them, right? Now, what we're pointing to now is that actually a lot of those attempts to make ourselves in a higher aperture to get perspective, you know, mindfulness, meditation, you know, whatever it is, are actually, funny enough, getting in the way of the system or, or, our, or the ebb and flow of that aperture anyway which, because whenever you add personal thought in to the system, it kind of clogs up the aperture in a way. That's a metaphor, of course, right? Now, when people explore the principles behind quality of mind at a realized level, they start to see the obviousness of how the system works. And that dissolves some of the conditioned programmed mind that has this desire to um add lots of personal conceptual thought in Right, which is what gets in the way because if we believe, you know, wholeheartedly that the world is real and true, then of course we're going to have to be psychologically alert to manage that world, which is going to add conceptual thought in, which is going to stop the aperture from opening for us to seeing fresh, which is why people find it easier to see a wide perspective on things they don't really care about. So, you you know, like your friends will be telling you about something or a colleague, and you can go, Hey, well, here's an idea, here's this, this, and you can see all sorts of resourcefulness. Uh, and possibility in a situation that isn't yours, right? Because you don't have so much uh, thinking invested in that. So what we're pointing people to see is the nature of how the mind functions, right? And yes, we have this uh, personal conceptual mind with all our programming and conditioning, and, and we're not getting rid of that at all. We're just getting that to ebb and flow more easily so it it, it, it it dissolves out the way, which allows this wider aperture to come through. But we're not doing that through tool, technique, or psychological strategy, which is a lot of what we used to do, right? Mm-hmm. We're actually pointing people to see the nature of the system for itself. When they have realizations about that, a lot of that conceptual personal thinking kind of dissolves and they find it easier for that aperture to open by itself because it always was anyway, but it's mm-hmm. not caught up with all the uh, unhelpful, invisibly, innocently unhelpful programming and conditioning that we have. Mm-hmm. So okay. there are tactical ways you can do it through kind of tools and techniques, but what we're pointing to is something more foundational and fundamental than that.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, I've used, I mean, what is the typical... Um, I would say, example in, in the people you've come across or you, that you've coached or supported um, between before and after. I mean, have you got an example of, of that to, to share with us?
0: Yeah, and, and there are many. And on the other podcasts, you know, with the, with the clients, they all come and tell you about that for themselves. But I'll, I'll give you the nutshell. So, what people find is, and they describe it in different ways, but they have, I, I guess, a different felt experience of the world which often turns up in more flow, um, more spaciousness in the mind, uh, more bandwidth, um, which then has big implications for their ability to get clear, um, to see fresh possibility, to listen deeply to others and understand where people are coming from, to feel connected. to have new possible thoughts that they didn't have before, um, to feel more resilient, so they're more discouragement-proof, so they don't need the outside world to be a certain way in order to feel okay. Um, they drop a lot of old narratives about themselves, you know, so the old stories "I'm this, I'm that." That kind of dissolves. Um, they feel more future-proof, <laughs> if that makes sense, um, and th- they just have a kind of. Um, well, someone the other day described it as a lingering sense of calm, <laughs> which, which, which means their ability to be in the world and operate increases because they have more bandwidth, more resourcefulness, mm. you know, um, and, and, and they get more done with less effort. So they're sailing, not rowing.
1: Okay, yeah, less effort i can i can I can hear like what you're saying. I mean it sounds like when you go through this, if you feel it, see it, get it, I don't know how to describe it, then it it changes things things for good. I mean it seems to be that the traditional approach would help you a little bit, help you fix your anger, your frustration, your stress, but then it may come back. Because you're actually fixing it like putting a plaster or taking some some medicine to, to to sort it out what you're describing it sounds like there's there's a way to not have to take any medication anymore because if you start looking at things in a different way things you know these problems disappear is that right or is it yeah. just a,
0: yeah no you know, that, that, that that is right so a lot of us are innocently doing things to help us cope and manage you know wh- wh- you know wh- whether that's drinking or drugs or eating or meditation or yoga or whatever, you know, and and we're all coping the best we can. And um, what people find with this is they need to do less of that. Um, Now, we're not saying you then become some utopian, always positive person, Mm -hmm. because that's just not the human system. You know, we're designed to have a full range of experiences. But what you find is, it's a bit weird, this, you, you become okay with not being okay right? So, so when you are caught up, it's more temporary. So you're more like a four-year-old really. Um, <laughs> you, get, you get annoyed with something, it's temporary and it doesn't grip you and it doesn't dwell with you, right? So you, you get annoyed, boom, and, and, then, and then you're kind of done, right? So you, you then get to enjoy the lows and the highs because the lows have less causal power. They don't hang around so long but you get a fuller, you full, a fuller, richer appreciation of what it is to be a human. And and, mm-hmm. and then that means you're kind of, at the same time, this will sound paradoxical, you're more yourself and less yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If, if that makes sense. So, and, and then the need to do things to fix yourself. So we, we've had quite a few people that used to meditate and then they come on the program and they don't meditate anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're not banning meditation, do what you like. But we don't feel the need because they were before they were using it as a bit of a crutch.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So they don't need the crutches anymore.
1: Yes, I see. Now I can I can relate to what you're saying in terms that earlier when we started the conversation, you were mentioning how the the, the brain works and the brain is actually projecting, um, you know, information or at least use their own its own reference system to understand reality and what you're saying is because there's more than that and there may be other frameworks or there would be no framework or there's there's more to, to life than what we see and we probably see it based on the lenses we, we, we're wearing. So when I wake up and it's a good day, even on that, you were talking about the, the dreams earlier, it happens that I wake up thinking, wow, I mean a, a mood that is just believable today and that day usually goes in an amazing way. I mean, great things happen and things flow and everything next day can be totally different. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying in terms that, um, the the way we perceive things probably will affect our experience. And my, my, my other takeaway from what you said today is there are resources to tap into to go and get something that is actually more appropriate or makes our lives better. We're not conditioned only, we shouldn't be conditioned only by our thoughts or emotions because they can be changed and they're not not necessarily true,
2: right?
0: Yeah. So to to your two points, so um, absolutely what we experience any moment is only ever You know the mind. I don't mean brain. We mean mind, right? Um, It's only ever that. That that, that's it. That that's all. That's all we've got. I mean, no one's ever experienced anything outside of awareness, right? So, impossible to say I've had an experience that hasn't come through awareness, right? You 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 can't have that, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the only thing we actually have, one hundred percent knowing of, is the fact of awareness, right? So. Everything else is after that. So it's always, 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 always the mind. To your point that we know we, we, we have more than just our conditioned self, absolutely, absolutely. So when we're in a low aperture, if you like, a contracted form of activity of consciousness, it looks like we just are our past. We just are our conditioned thinking, and that's all we've got. Now, in any moment that aperture opens a bit, we see that we're not that. we we see that we are infinite. Now that sounds a bit trite. Um, (laughs) But to to give you a more practical experience of that, there'll be times when you're walking down the street or walking in the park and you just see a tree and you're just like, huh, that is a cool tree, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a tree you've walked past 20 times Mm -hmm. or 2,000 times. Um, or, Or you look at your child or you look at someone and you just see beauty in them that you didn't notice before. And just these tiny little moments right? It could be me having a cup of coffee and you just have a moment of connection of something, of sense that there's something more than just me in this universe and this universe is me and I am me and the universe is me and all that. We, 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 we tend to get fleeting glances of that, but we totally disregard them, right? As not useful, indulgent, and now I've got to get back to work and be right. <laughs> but there are not many humans out there that haven't had glimpses of that. They may have forgotten them. Kids are having them all the time, right? And usually about the age of seven or eight, they articulate them to us and we just go, yeah, 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 don't worry, you know, because they start asking really amazing questions, seven or eight-year-old kids about what they are, what they are spiritually, and we just ignore it. And then school tells them to learn their homework. So we've we've over-indexed, emphasized the conditional mind right the conceptual mind and we've forgotten what we truly have access to which is infinite mm-hmm. and occasionally we see amazing things happening in the world with people doing amazing things where they where they're pushing the boundaries of, of 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 what they should be able to do you know physically or mentally and we're like or even when they die and then come back and they experience it. you know we kind of don't regard that as anything to look at but when you start looking at what it is that we truly are it starts to loosen everything else on a day-to-day basis. And we realize what you've just said, we are more than our condition in programming. And that's available to every single one of us, regardless to what we are.
1: Okay, okay. Um, maybe one last thing I, 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 I would be interested in knowing, but it's a vast topic, I, I guess. It- <laughs> How could we apply that in the corporate world? Um, knowing that you know, I, I've been in in this world for, for for a long time. I've seen people thrive in it or or suffer a lot in it. Nowadays, with the uncertainty that you see everywhere, I think it's it's quite stressful for leaders, for employees, for everyone in the organization, because nobody knows what's going to happen on many fronts. Um, is there um, something that you know the, the the this approach that you're 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 really trying to push forward and 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 to help people? How is there something that that could do for for you know co- corporations really?
0: I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you look at it nowadays, we've got more more VUCA, more more uh, volatility, uncertainty, ambiguity, complexity. We've got a rise of presenteeism, uh workplace mental health in question. Uh, blah, 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 blah. We've got millennials who want, you know, purpose-driven, you know, we've got lots of dynamics going on, right? The world's very fast changing, you know, with technology. Um, We've got AI coming in, all these things. Now, for me, now, of course I'm biased. This understanding Is exactly what we need now to make ourselves more agile, nimble, to have a deeper appreciation of what we truly are, um, to help us navigate the exponential level of change that's going on. Because at the moment, what we're trying to do, to use the metaphor, is we're trying to row through it using our psychological strategies, using our willpower, our conditioned self, and it's not really fit for purpose anymore. Right, It's kind of creaking at the seams. Now, what we're saying is, hey, there's another way. Right, There's another thing to access. Now, it's not something you, you've been using. You've been accessing it all through your life. Of course you are because you're human, but it's not what you've been taught to rely on. Because right? it's not as tangible or as controllable as the conceptual mind of willpower and discipline and, and, and the rowing way. Right. So you're gonna to have to let go a bit, you're gonna need some intellectual humility, you're gonna to need to explore beyond the tangible, which might sound a little woo-woo to start with, <laughs> to use that phrase, but once you tap into it and wake it back up again, because most of us have numbed ourselves to it through the overemphasis on the conceptual mind, through our education system, through the way we've rewarded ourselves, um, it will come and help you out. Right? And that's for anyone and everyone. Anyone in an organization can benefit, but it, it really helps if it starts with the leadership. Mm-hmm. And from the organizations that we've talked to, they see the value for this being embedded in their culture. It gives them a foundation of fertility, openness, um, you know, and, and all those attributes of resourcefulness, well being, performance, creativity, um, discouragement proof, resilience, connection with their customers, suppliers, clients goes up right so it's it's like when the water in the harbor goes up, all the boats rise, mm-hmm. so to me, it's something that should be instilled in any organizational culture now, luckily, very slowly but surely, I've got colleagues doing this in schools and mm-hmm. and you know it will, will be get embedded in at a young age, like we, we educate kids on hygiene, right yeah. you know it will become part of what we are at a young age, but at the moment that's not there so it's available to any organization. And to start with, for an organization, it will be a competitive differentiator. And, and you know we've got clients that say that because this is what helps them get more out of their people, which, as we said right at the beginning of the conversation, can unlock commercial success and, not, and you know, people's well-being and resourcefulness. So there's no, there's no payoff. It's a win-win.
1: Right, okay. Thank you so much. So interesting. Uh, I think we've gone through a few of my questions this morning.
0: <laughs> well, it's I I think your questions were excellent. I think they're good. Um, you know, could we do them justice in a in a five minute uh, answer? Uh, who knows? But but the idea, as I always say on these podcasts, is for people to to have a listen press pause on what they know, or press pause on what they know, have a listen. And then if they resonate with something, they get a little curious is to then try and find out more. So you're probably going to leave this podcast maybe with more questions than you came in, who knows. But if that's resonating with you and there's a curiosity, then listen to some others, uh, read some of the things we've got, message us. Um, We recognize this is not something you can get in the gist. But if something resonates and, and you're curious to know, well, is there another way, then um, find out more. So th- these are teasers, tasters, uh, these podcasts. And um, I-, I love being interviewed by you, Laurence. We, we could do a part two of this. Um, I-, I thought I was uh, really enjoying your questions. Um, so thank you so much for your time. And um, I hope uh, people have found it useful. and. Um, until then, you know, until we hear your questions or till next time, I uh, hope everyone has fun being curious. So, a big, big thank you, Laurence. Thank you.
1: Very welcome. Thank you very much. Yes, really interesting for me. And yes, I'm very, I'm even more curious than when we started. So, oh, good.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Okay, everyone. So until next time, have fun being curious. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please reach out and leave us a review and a comment. If you want more info, check out makingchangework.co.uk or Piers Thurston on LinkedIn.